Welcome to Passports and Pizza, a podcast about everything by two carb-loving, carry-on-only gals. I'm Sarah, an artist and food blogger who travels mainly for the food. And I'm Laura, a traveler and writer with an appetite for adventure. Join us as we dive into anything and everything that's on our plate slash on our minds. Oh my word, Gurms is hanging out with us in the pod loft. (laughs) He's being a very sweet boy. He is. And Grimes, you're going to have to deal with some nonsense today because we drinking on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This episode is all about old fashions. Yeah. So, love it. What, do we have any catch-up chit-chat? Or I should mean, we get into it? Salty yeah, sweets. Let's get into it. Let's just do it. Okay. Do you want to start or should I? Uh, why don't you start? Okay. Uh, my salty... So I always like to end on a high note. You know. So sorry if that means I'm starting on a depressing We're note. starting with some neggy ideas. But. <laughs> yeah. My salty is that Robert's family has been going through like a change, a lot of stress. And some of it's good change. But then again, all change is stressful. Mm-hmm. So um, like his parents are moving to Ohio to move in with his grandparents. But also his grandpa had a stroke recently. So, um, they kind of had to suddenly move and his mom is now like full-time caring for her mom. Right. Which is a lot. Yeah. Um, his dad thankfully got a new job though, but it's just like a lot that's going on at once and they're working on selling their house and getting everything out of there up in New York. Yeah. And it's just like really been weighing on me and Robert a lot. Um, I feel like we are coming out on the other side now, which is good. But for a while there, it was just like one thing after another that they were dealing with. And you guys were coming and going a lot too. Yeah. And we're going to be going back up to New York in a couple weeks. So yeah, it was just kind of hard. And then over the holidays, we kind of got to see it firsthand how it was affecting everyone. And it was just like a weird Christmas because his grandpa was in a nursing home Mm -hmm. and dealing with that and everything. So yeah, it's just, you know, it's that thing when your family is going through something and then after a while you realize that, oh, this is really affecting us as well, even though it's not directly affecting our lives Mm -hmm. the same way it's affecting theirs, you know, when you care about people. Yeah. It's just hard to watch them go through a hard time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, there's only so much you can do to help, too. So, yeah. Yeah. It just gets kind of heavy sometimes. Especially around the holidays, too. Because you already have so many family events planned, and it's like, mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Because it's a nostalgic time, and... hmm Yeah. Yeah. Emotional. Yeah. So... Everyone's emotions are already very high, so... Yeah. So we did have a great time with them over the holidays, but yeah, it was just like a different year. Yeah. And there's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Well, hopefully things will get better. Yeah, hopefully like it seems like things are on the up and up and... That's good. I'm hoping it's like uphill from here. Yeah. For everyone. What's up with you? Um, I think I will do my, uh, salty first, which is that, um, it's a seller's market right now and (laughs) it sucks. (laughs) It really sucks. Like there are a lot of things that have to happen before. Mm -hmm. Like we have to like probably have a realtor 
We'd like to have a certain amount saved. But I've been watching the market for a long time and it's mm-hmm. just getting worse. Yeah. It's just every day. Yeah. It's it's completely unaffordable to buy mm-hmm. a livable home. Well, like, and also like everyone I know who've bought who's bought a house recently, like aside from us, um, they've put several offers in for homes. And, and been denied. Been denied, or yeah. you know, like somebody outbid them. Yeah. Like it's just even if you find a house you love, chances are you won't get it. It's so crazy. It's crazy, too, because there, not that long ago, it was not a seller's market. It right. was a buyer's market. Mm-hmm. And, you, I mean, for us being first-time homeowners, like, we, yeah. have a, we would have much more leverage mm-hmm. in that climate. Yeah. And we don't. And <laughs> literally anything that is in our budget, mm-hmm. which we definitely have a lower end of a budget. We're not... Yeah. Looking for a McMansion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that's like what we're looking for is sky high mar- like market price. Things where you're like, wait, how much would it cost a month to mm. afford just living in this house? Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. So it's Ugh. just been, it's been like very frustrating. So it's, it's a little disheartening. And thankfully we're not like desperate to buy right now. We're mm-hmm. not in that circumstance. But Which is good. It doesn't look great it's kind of bleak so well it'll happen it'll people keep saying this you know great depression round three or whatever is coming around but i'm waiting (laughs) you're waiting i'm waiting (laughs) it's awful i don't mean that yeah no you know but it's funny it's like i guess this means like the economy is good and whatever that it's a seller's market but (laughs) for you not the best scenario i prefer if we went back a couple years it's so annoying (laughs) So, yeah, that's my salty. It's a seller's market. Yeah. Um, I'm not hoping that changes, but I am hoping that changes. (laughs) Well, my suite is also money related. (laughs) Um, I recently did a closet clean out. Yeah. And I had a handful of things that were still in really good shape. And it was just stuff that I just didn't really wear anymore. Like, it didn't fit my style. Or maybe it shrank in the wash. Or I just kind of outgrew it or something. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I sold some stuff on Poshmark. Yeah. In the last couple of months, I made $220 nice. selling stuff on Poshmark. And a good chunk of that was my winter jacket, because like yeah. I said, I sized up to the next size. And my coat was in really good shape. I actually only had it for like one season or something. So, I sold that on Poshmark for $100, Sweet. which means my um, profit from it was $80. That's sweet. And I, yeah, sold a handful of other things. You know, people make a living off of selling things on Poshmark. It's crazy. I don't want to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. But if you do have some, like, higher-end name brand stuff that's in good shape, it's actually, I found, is pretty easy to sell stuff on there. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely have things that I just donate where I'm like, I'm not going to get money for this. Yeah. Or it's not in good enough shape that I feel comfortable selling it. Um, but if you have a couple things like that, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Then that's money you could either put back into your wardrobe Mm -hmm. or yeah, save or whatever. Cool. Well, my suite is over the holidays, I've been loaded up with Huga reading. So like, (laughs) I don't know if everyone is just on my wavelength, but relatives, I mean, we do like a secret Santa in my extended family. Mm -hmm. I've gotten candles galore. Nice. Some sugared birch. Uh Uh-huh. I've never had too many. Love it. <laughs> um, and then I also got a ton of amazing kind of slow living books, I guess mm-hmm. you would call it. So the two that I wrote down that I'm really enjoying just sort of 
perusing through when I'm like on my couch or whatever, having coffee. There's this book called Forest Bathing, which is about the Japanese art of Shinrin-yoku, I think is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's like the act of meditation or mindfulness through walking in and hiking. Oh, cool. Um, so they have, like, a lot of gorgeous photos, and they talk about mindfulness and meditation and what yeah. they're doing in Japan as far as their overall mental health, but also physical health with this. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and then another one I'm loving is North, How to Live Scandinavian. Nice. So it's all it's very... It's for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So I've been loving those, and I just really like that somehow that's become my brand. It's just like, yeah. give me all these books and candles, baby. <laughs> and a lot that's of good. a lot of Stroopies uh-huh. and chocolates and stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, yes, this is... yeah. You're this is exactly set. what I wanted. You're set for the winter season. Yeah, it feels that's what it feels like because like I've stockpiled all this stuff and I'm yeah. like, you know what? We're set. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a Hoga Day on your calendar coming up? <sighs> Not really. I feel like from now until I mean, what will be a Hoga Day is if we have a, a snow, snow day. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the best. Because yeah. they're kind of unexpected. Yeah. There's nothing planned normally, right. or things get canceled because... Plus, you're like, I was just going to be working today, and now I have the day free, so yeah. I might as well do whatever I want. Right. We really haven't had any snow at all yet. Yeah, not Which much. has been strange. I um, feel like we always get hit in February. Yeah, I'm not... Oh, yeah. We're... At some point, I'm sure yeah. we'll have a snow day. Mm-hmm. So that's really anything I've planned? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no hook day is planned as far as I can see, but yeah. Well, at least when the time comes, you're ready. Oh, I am so ready. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So we're about to drink because we're talking about a classic drink, the old fashioned. Love it. So the topic, this topic came about because of my friend, Phil, who's a super fan of the podcast. Hey, Phil. Hi, Phil. (laughs) We've talked about Phil before. Um, He and I were chatting one day because he and I have like a kinship with our cocktail choices and stuff. We both love whiskey and um, he loves a Negroni, but we drank barrel-aged Negronis together one time and stuff. But kind of recently we were talking about old fashions and he was asking me if I knew if they were regional variations because he's from Canada but he lives in New York City. And he was saying that he feels like everywhere he goes, they're made differently. Hmm. And he's, like, kind of talked to some people and everyone seems to have an opinion about how they're made and be like, you know, think that if you make it some other way, it's wrong. Right. And so I was like, that's a really good question. I don't really know the answer to that. We yeah. should do an episode about it. So. So Sarah's done homework. I did homework. I ordered a book called... <laughs> The Old Fashioned. <laughs> Bring it on. It's by Robert Simonson, I guess is how you would say it. It's the story of the world's first classic cocktail with recipes and lore. So I read this Love thing. lore. <laughs> I read this thing cover to cover over Christmas and had a blast, honestly. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about a fun research project. Yeah. I love learning about cocktails. Bring it on. So, this is another episode where Sarah's just going to make me cocktails. Yeah, Laura gets the easy job in this episode. I get episode. the easy job. <laughs> we'll have to figure out a topic like this that you, then I just sit back and drink and you yeah, tell me things. I don't know. Um, but before we get started, I want to talk about like 
before knowing any of this, what do we each picture when we say old fashioned? Two words. Mad Men. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. My first introduction to old fashions was I noticed that they were always drinking on, like, drinking on. Of course, they were drinking in their office in Mad Men. If you haven't seen Mad Men, please watch it on Netflix. (laughs) It's a great watch. Um, Set in, like, the 1950s, 1960s, even Mm -hmm. into the 70s with an advertising agency in New York. And, you know... What a time to be alive, just drinking cocktails. <laughs> Everyone has a bar cart in their office. Right. Um, so they would always drink old fashions, especially Don Draper, who's like the mm-hmm. main character. Yeah. So when I was starting post college to have money because I was working and hustling, if I really wanted to treat myself, uh-huh. I would get an old fashioned. But, uh-huh. you know, only at those certain bars that could make them. Okay. You know? Because at the time, there weren't that many available to me unless I was willing to splurge. Right. So, anyway, I was introduced to Old Fashions through Mad Men, Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like a splurge item I would order, Mm -hmm. more or less. And this was, like, after you've discovered you like whiskey. Yeah. I had always loved, like, whiskey, ginger, Mm -hmm. just whiskey straight up. Yeah. So you're like, if I'm going to treat myself and feel fancy, I'm going to order Old Fashioned. If I wanted to impress a date, you know? Yeah. Like... It's sort of like, ooh, she didn't get a cranberry vodka. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's really all it came down to. But Uh from what I understood and what I still understand about old fashions is that it's just whiskey, like some sort of citrus or fruit Mm -hmm. muddle situation and then bitters. And then either, I mean, you can be real classy and add uh, like Prosecco or you could add. Oh, Prosecco. Yeah. I mean, if you want kind of a mix between an old-fashioned and, like, a... Spritz? Spritz. Uh-huh. But, I mean, or a splash of soda. Yeah. Or none. I mean... Hmm. But okay. the main three are definitely whiskey, muddled something, and bitters, so... Okay. Yeah, so what I had come to know as a true old-fashioned and what I have been making for the last few years, if I make them at home, is muddled... Orange and cherry, and of course I do the fancy cherries that I love. Yeah. The Luxardo, with some bitters, and then you have the whiskey, and ice, and a splash of club soda. Yeah. So that's how I've been making it. That's what I thought was I like think that's pretty, pretty standard. standard. Yeah. So, with that in mind, I'm about to lay down some facts <laughs> and make us some drinks. Yay! So <laughs> settle in. Um. First, are we right in our idea of what old fashions are? Yes what and constitutes no. an old fashioned versus not an old fashioned? Well, I'll get, it. I'll get into it. <laughs> okay, it's a little complicated. Okay. Um and I will say this is literally just knowledge from this book. One source. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this guy did all the research, and I am now giving a book report. Okay, sounds okay. good. So I'm sure there's stuff out there that contradicts this guy. Right. But he seemed to know his stuff. Thank you for your intellectual honesty. So, you know, this, this is where my knowledge is coming from. All right, so to get started. So I had already kind of heard that the old-fashioned is like the original cocktail, which is why... It drives me nuts when I go to a bar. And they're like, what? They don't. I'm like, excuse me. 
you've been able to order this for like a hundred years. Why, how would you not know what an old fashioned is? It's literally the oldest cocktail. Yeah. But there, like I said, not all bars could make them for me post-college. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, which is really sad. <laughs> yeah. So the original definition of the word cocktail, which appeared in a newspaper in 1806, is a stimulating liquor composed of spirits of any kind. Okay. Sugar, water, and bitters. Sugar. Yeah. Like Mm, a sweetener of some kind. Okay. So that is a cocktail, according to this 1806 definition. It's okay if you don't know this, but, like, why the word cocktail? Well, I think, like, before this, people would just order the liquor. So this was, like, to be considered a cocktail, this was what was standard. But why the word cocktail? Oh. Like, who decided cocktail? Maybe you we'll know, research it. Good old Google search. Okay, you, you keep Google. Talking. Yeah. Because that's a really good question. So, like, the old fashioned was actually originally just called whiskey cocktail. <laughs> because it was a cocktail <laughs> made, with- made with whiskey. And it was traditionally made with bourbon or rye. And the bitters were Angostura bitters. So that's where all that comes from. Okay. And it's considered to be part of the cocktail trinity, along with the martini and the Manhattan. So it's one of the big three, which we both love Manhattans. Yeah. How how do you feel about martinis? Um, no. Yeah. Mm -mm. I'm basically a no. No. But I also feel like I haven't dabbled enough. Yeah, that's, that, that is a fair, I will, I will also agree with that. I feel like I've had a few martinis and every single time I'm like, nope. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time, well, once I ordered a dirty, mar- like, mm-hmm. very dirty martini, and yeah. I instantly hated my life, so. <laughs> so I was thinking it might be fun at some point for us to do a martini episode. Yeah. And, like, kind of try a couple different versions to see if there is a version that we like. I mean, why not? I mean, <laughs> Gotta we have a podcast. <laughs> why not? <laughs> so, did you find out? Okay, yeah. Um... Here, I found this from a website called Chowhound. Okay. And uh, they said, there's a lot of speculation about the actual etymology of the word cocktail, but none of the theories have been verified. During the colonial period, tavern keepers stored their spirits in casks. When the casks got near empty, the dregs, or tailings, would be mixed together into one barrel and sold at a reduced price. Hmm. Poured from a spigot, which was often called the cock. (laughs) So, it's basically like cocktailings, what they were called. Patrons wanting cheaper alcohol would ask for this cocktailings. Interesting. Yeah. Well. And now people pay a lot more for cocktails. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so with that little bit of background knowledge, I'm now going to make us a very classic old-fashioned so we can sip on that while I... Sounds great. ...give us more knowledge. So, in this book... It's just titled Rye Slash Bourbon Old Fashioned. Hey. Very classic. This was like the most classic, more modern version of the cocktail in the book, which is why I chose it. And people argue over whether or not rye or bourbon is the traditional whiskey to be used. Some people who are like real stricklers claim that it should be made with rye. So what I have... Is that's interesting. I didn't this know that. tin cup American whiskey, which is a high rye bourbon. 
I already had this in my liquor cabinet, so I figured this would be a perfect one to use because it's kind of like a hybrid. So I will walk us through how to make this, and it's extremely easy. So we do one sugar cube in the cup. Oh, I also, I gotta say, I love the old fashioned because you make it in the cup you're drinking it out of. I know. It's so easy. Also, I didn't even know there was sugar in. Yeah. That's like. You didn't realize? No, no idea. <laughs> yep. Okay, so then we have two dashes of Angostura bitters. A classic. So this you like, you kind of like hold the bottle and like give it one like good, good. ketchup kind of thing. So I'm doing two of those. Which I think is more than I used to do with bitters. Oh, I love this book, I got a better sense of how to measure a dash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, I can already smell it. It smells really good. I love bitters. And then you do a bar spoon of warm water. So I'm just (laughs) grabbing water from my water cup. A bar spoon. Yeah, so... So those long skinny spoons that come in your, like, cocktail set? Cocktail mixing glass. That's what I'm using. So, yeah, I mean... Something along those lines. Yeah. It's a very wishy-washy measurement, but that's what I'm using. I'm using, I have one of those, and I'm going to use that. You really just need to kind of get things wet so that breaks down. And really, you could also swap this out with a tiny bit of simple syrup, Mm -hmm. but using the sugar cube is like an easy way to not have simple syrup on hand. It's a perfect measurement of the amount of sugar you're using. Or if you, um, I think one sugar cube equals half a teaspoon of sugar. So you can just use yeah, a eyeball teaspoon it. of sugar. Yeah. And then do the water to whatever. And then I'm just going to muddle this until it turns into like, basically like a paste. It's like a face mask, baby. Right now, do you smell that? I smell Ooh. It's very aromatic. Yeah. So you're basically getting this super concentrated, flavorful yeah. sugar syrup. Goodness. With the bitters and the sugar. So two ounces of the whiskey. I've got this tin cup. High rye bourbon. (laughs) That goes in the glass. Close it up so I don't spill it. And then you just kind of stir this to combine. Oh, meanwhile, can you please make us an orange peel? Sure can. Just one? Yeah, just one. And then I'm going to add my big ice chunk. One of those big fat ice cubes. Stick that in there. And now you're going to stir again to um, chill it. So almost like you would in a cocktail mixing glass. Mm-hmm. You're going to stir it, and I like to keep a finger on the outside of the glass. And when that feels chilled, then I'm like, Then you're good. Okay. You don't want to just stick the ice cube in and then hand it off to someone because it's not going to be chilled. No. And really, no like this is like part of the recipe because the ice starting to melt and diluting everything is part of the recipe. That's right. where the water comes in. And then we have our orange peel, which, like, you could kind of, like, twist it over to raise right. some of the things. So I kind of do that, and then I like to rub rim it. the rim of the cup with it. And then you just drop it in there. So I'll let you have the first sip. Please tell me you've tried this. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. I made these on New Year's Eve, and they were really good. Mm. Yeah. It's, like, refined. Right? You I know? mean, like, I feel like, especially when you have the big ice cube like when I was making them at New Year's with our friend Dave and he has he actually had the spheres love those and he had really nice rocks glasses and I was like Dave I feel like I feel like I'm at a fancy cocktail bar but I'm in my sweatpants at your house yeah 
Yeah. It's, you know what? It's, like, clean. Mm-hmm. There's no nonsense. Yeah. It's not too sweet. No. It's definitely not too sweet. But it still has some, like... Because, I mean, really, this is just slightly sweetened, slightly diluted whiskey in an ice cube. <laughs> Bring it on. But you got the bitters, you've got the, like, Without having rim. to embarrassingly ask your bartender, can you just pour whiskey with a little <laughs> bit of water and just put some sugar in there? Yeah. And, like, how long did that take me? It was in one cup. Like, anybody Clean. can Clean? Yeah. Mm. That's good. And I'm getting the orange on the nose. Oh, yeah. Hey, let me smell this again. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, citrusy. And also, the bitters. It's just so good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the high rye bourbon gives it, like, a little bit of a spicy kick. Because rye yeah. tends to be spicier. But it's not overwhelming. If you used a more traditional sweet bourbon, I think it would taste more mellow mm-hmm. than this one. But it's pretty Dude. nice. I love this. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to sip on that. Later I'm going to mm. make you a variation. That I think you're really going to like. Okay. I'm, I'm very excited. excited for you to try the variation. You've tried both, right? Yeah. I, okay. okay. Of, course. of course you did. <laughs> I did. I had to do my research. Moving on. Here are a couple of fun facts that I particularly enjoyed. Okay. So people used to drink old fashions in the morning. They were considered an appetizer before breakfast. I'm shook. <laughs> right? Can you imagine starting your day? Can you imagine? I mean, what do, you, what do you feel about, like, mimosas in the morning and stuff? I usually don't because I know it always makes me feel crappy by the afternoon. It makes me sleepy. Yeah. Um, but having this in the morning, can you imagine? Like, were people just hung over all the time? You know? <laughs> no. Was that just their this standard This is why prohibition started. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, people were drinking at breakfast. People were like, yo, chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, that's crazy. It was so common that it was made in large batches and sold to the army during the Civil War. So you could just be like, you know, right out of a tap <laughs> clink, or clink. something. <laughs> Get Qu- your morning head ration. Head the faucet. <laughs> yeah. Also, wow. I really enjoyed learning this. The big ice cubes, like what we're using here, or even like spheres, like mm-hmm. what our friend Dave had, have been common for this drink, like, since the beginning. So this is a standard need. Which kind of makes sense if you think about how people used to get ice was someone had a huge block of ice and you had to cut it up. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. But it was for taste purposes. So, like, it dilutes it a little as you um, stir it in the beginning. But then it's not diluting so fast that you have just, like, half water, half whiskey by the end of your drink or halfway through. And also for aesthetic reasons. Like, people would go out of their way to shave ice into a ball. So you could put it in this cocktail mm. and have it be, like, real fancy. Mm. So I found that interesting because I just thought that was kind of, like, and a you thing know of what? the moment. I am not someone who likes whiskey stones. Neither do I, really. I don't... Well, I don't like the aesthetic look of them. Mm. But also, I like it being diluted Me slowly too. by an ice mm-hmm. cube. Yeah. But the big one like this, it's a slow process. Yeah. And as opposed to having like six ice cubes uh-huh. all sort of melting at the yeah. same rate. So. And I'll link to some of these molds because if you just get one of those silicone big oh, fat yeah. ice molds, like just keep that in your freezer. You're not going to, I mean, maybe you are using one a day or something, but it's really nice to have in your freezer when you're like, I want an old fashioned or something. Yeah. 
just pull one out and feel really fancy. Luke got some spheres for Christmas, so we got Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, <laughs> they used to be served with a little silver spoon. So, like, when the bartender would make it and kind of stir it all together, and then they'd hand it to you with this little spoon in it, and then you could use the spoon to scoop out some fruit or just, like, scoop up the sugary syrup at the bottom when you're done. And I didn't even notice, this does not really have muddled anything. Mm -mm. Just the sugar and the bitters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so used to having, like, like you said, like a cherry, orange, citrusy. Yeah, I thought fruit was, like, always part of it. Yeah. And we'll get into that. I don't, I don't miss it in this drink. I don't either. Yeah. Like that orange peel is doing a lot yeah. in there. Yeah. Totally Because it's on the nose. You get the aromatics of it. Also, this is wild. When you would order it at a bar, the bartender would like muddle the stuff, like the sugar and the bitters and stuff, and like put an ice cube in, and then hand you the cup and hand you the bottle of whiskey, and you would <sighs> pour your own whiskey in. Imagine if someone did that now. But it wasn't even like just for old fashions. It was, it was like, like if you just ordered whiskey in a glass, they'd hand you a glass and hand you the bottle of whiskey and you'd pour your own. And I was wondering, is this because like to show like I'm not poisoning you? Maybe. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I mean, unless you spike the whole bottle of whiskey. Well, don't you feel too that there are in today's day and age bars where you think they water down their alcohol oh yeah like mm-hmm. maybe that's the thing yeah. where it's like trust yeah. you to i can always tell at a cheap bar oh when i get a drink because i'm a lightweight and it only takes one <laughs> but if i have a cocktail or like a liquor beverage and it doesn't get me at least tipsy you're like mm-hmm. i'm like what's going on here yeah yeah or if anyone's a bartender or yeah you know yeah, what are they doing? What are the secrets? <laughs> yeah. Would love to know. Also, the old fashioned is one of the only drinks with a glass named after it. Like huh. the old fashioned glass. I didn't even know there was an old fashioned glass. I just oh, thought really? it was like a whiskey, like Yeah, like if you go to Crate and Bar- Barrel or something. Oh my god, I it's already I'm starting. Already getting drunk. <laughs> I am hungry. <laughs> it's three o'clock PM. <laughs> um, we're going to bed early tonight. Um, yeah, a rock, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) An old-fashioned glass is a squat rocks glass holding 6 to 10 ounces, usually tapering slightly at the base, and most importantly, has a weighted bottom. I mean, yep. And that's so it can stand up to the muddling. So you don't want, like, a real flimsy glass cup because you're muddling stuff in the bottom. This is really cool. Yeah. I'm learning so much. (laughs) All right. I'm now going to run down okay. like, the actual history of it. It first appeared in its written form. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it first appeared written in its, like, current form in 1885. Okay. And this is when it was still just called Whiskey Cocktail. Right. But it was a version of the Whiskey Cocktail called Spoon Cocktail. Where they give you the spoons. Yeah. And, and it said, one lump of sugar... Two dashes Angostura bitters, one piece of lemon peel, one lump of ice. Served plain in a small bar glass with a spoon. I mean, that's what we're Which drinking. Which is basically what yeah. we're drinking right now. Yeah. It's a spoon cocktail, except we don't have a spoon. <laughs> Can I have a spoon cocktail? <laughs> Say. <laughs> Wait, what's the 1885? 1880, 1885. <sighs> it's been around a long time. Yeah. And also, 
for all we know, people are making these in Canada in like the 1700s and we don't know. But I mean, yeah. I think it's a pretty American cocktail, so. Yeah. I don't know. So, as it always happens, bartenders start getting like experimental with They're this like, whiskey cocktail. my twist on it. Yeah, they start adding weird things to it. Like, absinthe was really popular. And like, Ooh. chartreuse. What or... do you think about absinthe? I hate it. It's weird. I hate it. It's very strong. But so, I the only time I did have it, yeah, was with champagne. Oh no. Yeah, that's, apparently that's like a Hemingway thing. Like, oh I don't know, okay, because he drank both in Paris. I don't uh-huh. know. Whatever. Weird. Maybe I'll give it another try. So all these bartenders were like getting weird and funky, and people are going to bars and ordering cocktails, and they were like, "Can I just get an old fashioned cocktail?" And that's ah. where it came <laughs> Yeah. So that's where it started to get called the old-fashioned. It was like none of this ah. other fancy stuff, just a classic whiskey cocktail. It's called the old-fashioned. Right. It's like, you kids yeah. and your cocktails. <laughs> and they're like, give me an old-fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. So it was first published under that name in 1888, so that's three years later, in the bartender's manual. And even that had two versions one which had absinthe in it. Oh, no. So even that was like nope. going weird. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. We don't do that. <sighs> yeah. Although it would be worth trying. Yeah, I mean, I would try it. Absinthe is but like, also that's what are you going to use that with? Really though? similar to a Sazerac. True. And I don't know. I don't really care for those. Really I tried them in New Orleans, but I was like, eh, I don't need to drink this then again. <laughs> so here's a question for you. If you had to guess like one city in America that was kind of like, the possible birthplace of the old-fashioned, what would you guess? Well, whiskey. Yeah, it's whiskey. So, <laughs> I mean, my immediate thought was, like, I don't know, Tennessee, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But, like, okay. where are the bars really going to be where they're going to do all this nonsense? Like, maybe New York, but... Okay. Well, that's a good I, guess. Am I off? You're close. So, a lot of evidence points to Chicago. Oh. It's a possible, like, birthplace. Yeah, I was not close, point. <laughs> but that's because it was a big whiskey city because it was close to Louisville. Oh. Yeah. So they were getting, like, bourbon and whiskey from there. All right. Well, that, that tracks. And also, yeah. it's a larger metropolis. Exactly. So more bars. Yeah. yeah. So you were, like, yeah. on the right track there. And actually, in New York City, at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel... Women would secretly order old fashions by asking for tea in the Chicago style. Oh. Yeah. So that's like someone in New York saying, give me tea in the Chicago style. (laughs) Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. Yeah. And they would basically get an old fashioned. Let's order cocktails with these old sayings and just (laughs) see what happens. Your waitress would just be like, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, excuse me, um, do you not know that Chicago is the birthplace of the old-fashioned? Hello. Or so people think. And then in 1893, in Chicago, was the first meeting of the International Association of Bartenders, where they were like, okay, we need to sit down, and we need to make a national standard for mixed drinks. Right. Because people are ordering these all over the place, everyone's making it different, we need some kind of standard, so when you order an old-fashioned... It's basically the same. Right. Everywhere. So Joe Schmo, who came from New York and suddenly comes to Chicago, it's like, this isn't tea. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 
1893. Fast forward to Prohibition, which is 1920 to 1933. At this point, it was actually hard to get a good old fashioned mm-hmm. because the best bartenders either just stopped bartending because it was illegal, right? Or they straight up left and went to other countries to bartend. They're like, Canada! (laughs) Yeah, or like France or Mexico. They're like, my services are needed elsewhere, and I'm too good to not be bartending. Oh, prohibition. (laughs) And also, speakeasies couldn't take the time to be mixing up cocktails. But I thought that was funny because when I think of of speakeasies now, you know, where places oh, called yeah. a speakeasy, that's where you go and maybe you have to knock or it's like hard to find, but they're making like the most oh, intricate cocktails. Oh, it's the opposite. It's, it's totally, totally the, opposite. the opposite. It's like if you want a good cocktail. Do you know what's funny? And this makes me think of like, if you ever go to Lancaster, there is a speakeasy at the basement of one of the largest drinking establishments in the city, which is Telus 360. Have you ever oh, yeah, yeah. there? But all they serve down there is basically, like, whiskey cocktails, and it's cash only. It's a gin bar now. I thought it was whiskey. I think it used to be, but the last few times I've been, it's been only gin. Maybe they go through seasons of cycling through things. Either way, it's cash only. It feels very prohibition in that way. I love that place. Because it's like, yeah, it's great. And that is also kind of like, listen, we're only making gin stuff or whatever. Right. So you can't get your... You know, PBR draft down here. Nope. <laughs> so, you know, or even a, you know, whiskey if it's just gin. Right. So that's kind of fun. So then after Prohibition, it became one of the most popular and respected drinks. But at this time, it was be made, being made with more fruit in it. And we think that that might be because during Prohibition, they might have been made with fruit to mask like bad mm. liquor. So they weren't exactly working with the you know, the best. highest end stuff. Right. So they were throwing more fruit and stuff in to drinks to make mm, them palatable. Interesting. Yeah. So I think this is kind of where we start seeing more of the fruit happen. Okay. So post-prohibition or during prohibition? Like during and yeah. after. Okay. Yeah. And this is where people really start arguing about it. And people who like to bust on the fruity ones call it a fruit salad cocktail. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not wrong. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. It was usually orange, cherry, and pineapple. Okay. Pineapple is a strange... I know. Or lemon, orange, and cherry. And where are they getting a pineapple from? That's what I was wondering. I'm like, how are these places having pineapples to just be throwing in the drinks? Where? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Unless... If you're in Florida or something. Right. Or like very like... So this is where you might get into some regional variations depending on the fruit. What people are into. Right. Yeah. But the cherry and the orange seem pretty standard. Right. By the 1940s and 50s, they were super popular. You could basically get them anywhere. So we're in that phase. Hence Mad Men. Hence Mad Men, yeah. But then by the late 50s, going into the 60s, the vodka martini starts having a moment, and that's kind of taking over. (sighs) One thing I have to say about a vodka martini, whoever made those glasses... (laughs) Yeah. The way it's shaped. It's, it's just waiting rants. to be spilled. Oh, my God. And Robert goes on this rant all the time, too. He and I both will order drinks specifically not in those glasses. Yeah. If we know it comes in that because it's impossible to drink out of. You constantly feel like you're going to knock it over or spill it. It's like, give me the first one in that glass and I can hold it together. Yeah. If, I have, if I'm asking for another one, <laughs> don't give it to me in that glass. Give me another glass. Yeah. So we've got the vodka martinis taking over by like the 60s. Interesting. Then we hit the 70s and 80s. People start drinking their 
Harvey wall bangers. They're fuzzy navels. Oh, God. Okay? I think these are considered, like, club drinks. Yeah. Like, at the disco. They're, like, bell-bottom. Yeah. Disco. Platform shoes. Give me a fuzzy navel. I had a fuzzy navel on my 21st birthday. I don't even know. What is a fuzzy navel? It is. Is it peach? I don't know. (laughs) I think it's peach and champagne. It might be orange juice and peach schnapps. (laughs) (laughs) My first birthday. Anyway, so by this time, it's harder to get a good one when you were out, so it was more of a drink that you made at home. This is also when sour mix starts taking off. Which we know you and I both have strong feelings about sour mix. I ordered a mojito recently that I was hoping I should have asked. Housemade. If it was was housemade, and it was not. And it basically, all I can taste is sour mix. It's gross. It is gross. And once you start to pick up on it, once you've figured out what the the jig is up, man, the Mm -hmm. jig is up. It's, yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's not good. Thankfully, now we are in a bit of a cocktail renaissance that began around 2009. What do you think prompted this? Well, I have a couple of things. Okay. I think I think this is like the whole thing of the pendulum swinging back the other way, mm-hmm. where things got so trashy, mm-hmm. for being honest, and now like people truly. are coming back to the classics, right? Which, like, thank God, because yeah. 2009 was literally a year before I turned 21. Oh my so God! I, I graduated <laughs> high school. <laughs> so I. Was able to come of age as a drinking person. Good time. During this cocktail renaissance. And thank God, because I don't really drink beer or wine. Mm -hmm. I am a whiskey gal. I'm a tequila gal. And we all know I'm a snobby bitch when it comes to cocktails. Sarah is that person. I am. That goes up to a bar and is like, do you have house-made sour mix? Yeah. Also, also what cherries do you have? (laughs) And do you muddle them? Right. Or... Is it house-made bitters? Or Um, what are your bitters? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't know what I would be drinking if we didn't live in our current time. I mean... You for sure. I mean, I'd probably yeah. just be drinking straight whiskey. Yeah. Or tequila. Yeah. Or I you'd have to somehow find, like, a wine or something. I don't know. Wine makes me feel so gross, though. I If I had as much, like, backlash when I would drink mm-hmm. wine or beer, I wouldn't drink it either. Yeah. I still don't feel great, but I don't feel great drinking any alcohol. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it seems like what kind of led to this was a lot of bartenders getting a hold of, like, these old books and going back to these original classic recipes like like this one like learning like oh an old-fashioned doesn't have to have a muddled fruit salad in the bottom of it to be a really good drink and also super easy and cheap and to cheaper make, yeah for being honest mad men did not hurt its cause mad men hey! first aired in 2007 so that definitely contributed and to it. And there is a sense of nostalgia mm-hmm. in every decade, every generation, right? right? But yeah. that show was an extreme nostalgic mm-hmm. throwback to an age that even our parents didn't really live through as adults. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. And in 2002, an Esquire cocktail columnist named the properly made No Fruit Old Fashioned one of the four essential drinks every serious drinker should know. Along with the martini, the Manhattan, and the daiquiri. 
Hmm. Which, if you want to learn more about daiquiris, listen to our New Orleans episode where we maybe also get we drunk. should make it a point to do the other two. We should. I do. Think We're going to we cover should. the four. That's where we are now, and every serious bartender has their own like personal variations on the old fashioned mm-hmm. because it really does set itself up perfectly for playing around with it because it's just a combination of liquor, bitters, and a sweetener, right, and then fruit. So, like, if you want to do a lemon peel instead of an orange, do you want to throw that cherry in? Or switch up which whiskey you're using. Or switch up your sweetener. Or try a fun, like, um, locally made bitters or right. house-made bitters. Right. Like, really, you can really change up one aspect of it or every aspect, and it's still probably going to be a good drink because you're following right. this classic formula. Right. Which is really fun. Right. It adds a customization yeah. element. Like, this book of that... I'm doing a book report on. <laughs> um, there's one in it that I really want to try, like, in the summer. Yeah. It's made with gin, and it has elderflower liqueur. Ooh. And the, um, instead of an orange rind, there's grapefruit. Mm. So it sounds very refreshing. Elderflower and grapefruit? Mm-hmm. That sounds good, like a winning combo. Yeah, and you might never think of doing a gin old-fashioned, but you just kind of play with that formula and you have right. an amazing cocktail. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun. As far as regional variations go, the only obvious one there is, is Wisconsin. What? Yeah. In Wisconsin, unless you specify, it will be made with brandy instead of whiskey. Ew. <laughs> Isn't that weird? But why? Well, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of Germans and Scandinavians mm. settled there. And I guess brandy, brandy is like big German over, yeah. that, over there. So they make theirs with an orange slice and a cherry muddled in a rocks glass with sugar and Angostura bitters, so not too far off there, followed by brandy and then ice. But if you order it sweet, it means it's topped off with 7-Up or Sprite. <laughs> if you order it sour, you'll get some sour mix or like a tart soda. Mm. If you order it press, it's finished with a combo of 7-Up and soda water. I just can't get down with the idea of brandy and soda. Yeah. Well, it gets weirder, okay? Some older patrons request their drink to be finished with pickled mushrooms, <gasps> onions, or Brussels sprouts. What the What is going ass? on in Wisconsin? Seriously? You guys! <laughs> I'm a little worried. Pickle- um, pickled no. mushrooms? Brussels sprouts? I mean, seriously, what? is going on. This is not a way to get your veggies in in a day. Mm-mm. This is not the way. Unless you're having it for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> a breakfast cocktail. <laughs> yeah. So. Whoa. Isn't that weird? That's weird. I had never heard of that before. But yeah, Dude. So they make brandy old fashions. So I found that the bottom line is that it really is the oldest cocktail. People have been arguing about it forever. Okay. <laughs> You've got rye versus bourbon. In Wisconsin, they're off in left field making it with brandy. Do you, Wisconsin? Yeah. You've got fruit or no fruit. And then if you do have fruit, which fruit are you using? How much fruit are you using? You know? Yeah. But in my experience, you still have to seek out a good one. Like we talked about. Like, why is it so hard? The ingredients are so simple. 
why it's like Italian doesn't everyone cooking. know? It's like Italian cooking. Like, real, real Italian. Not Italian-American. It's all about your ingredients. Right. If you yeah. have the best four ingredients, mm-hmm. locally made, fresh, seasonal, mm-hmm. what have you, it's going to be bomb. Right. Yeah. And if you have your technique down. Yeah. And that that's true, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they're serving um, old-fashioned and they're using bottom-shelf mm-hmm. rye whiskey... Yeah. I mean, that's a huge component of what this yeah. is. So, Because also, I won't name them by name, but there's a local place that had a variation on an old-fashioned, I think, or a Manhattan, I forget which, that I would often order. Uh-huh. And they would build it in the glass, but it drove me nuts because they didn't do the stirring part of it to chill it. Mm-hmm. They'd hand it to me, and it was like a warm. lukewarm cocktail with an ice cube in it. Can't have that. No. No. It's not okay. No. I'm like, why am I paying $10 for this and you can't even chill it properly? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. We're, are we just bougie? We are. <laughs> we are, but how did I get this way? <laughs> you just have great taste. I mean, that's probably true. I mean, yeah. I do think, though, when you step outside of the classic whiskey gingers, vodka, you know. Mm-hmm with you know vodka sodas and you start experimenting with like like more upper class classic cocktails Mm -hmm. it is a learning curve yeah and also i think it's true that like this cocktail sounds very simple but if you don't do it right and with like a thoughtfulness if you just throw some bitters and sugar and whatever and give it a splash and whatever right at, like, a random bar, throw a crappy cherry in there. It's not going to be good. Right. It's not the same as this thing that I just It's like made. messing up a formula and mm-hmm. using really bad, mm-hmm. like, ingredients to yeah. make it. Yeah. So now I'm going to make us a fun variation, and then I have a little bonus knowledge that's really fun. Okay. To bring us home. You're making us a Wisconsin? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> no, I don't have any, like... Brussels I was like, I was wondering why those onions are in the back. <laughs> yeah. A jar of pickled onions. Ugh. Yeah. I can't. I just... It's so weird. I'm also someone who doesn't really love a savory, like, addition to any cocktail I've ever had. Even... Yeah. That, that's I why I feel like I don't like martinis. I, do. I don't love an olive. Right. So this variation I'm making, I'm really excited for you to try because I did make this on New Year's. I've already seen maple syrup, so I'm down. Yeah. But I think this is a really good example of how if you just switch up a couple of the things right, and make it basically the same way, and it's a feels like a very different drink. Okay. Okay. So what I'm making, it's also from this book, obviously. If you guys are interested in this, please buy this book. There's some really good sounding recipes in here. And it would be a class if you have a bar cart, it would look so classy if you just... Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. This one is called the Nuevo Viejo which translates to new, old. There's that. Is it Hispanically influenced? Um, it's from a bar in California. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, it references a bartender. Uh, <laughs> bartender. <laughs> references a bartender named John Santer from the Prize Fighter in Emeryville, California. And it uses scotch. 
Ooh. Okay. I tried to get the actual scotch he mentions in the book. Is which it is, um, unpeated? Unpeated. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, because I feel like a peated scotch would completely... Completely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could do it with that if you're into that. Yeah. But we know that I'm not. Right. Um, I just feel like it would be very overwhelming. I do As too. far as the whole... Yeah. All those cocktails are the only place I can kind of get down with scotch if it's mm. peated, if it's the right cocktail. Right. So this one called for banknote blended scotch, which our liquor store did not have. Okay. So I did a bunch of Googling. I'm standing there in the scotch aisle <laughs> trying to figure out something I could get that would be kind of similar. Yeah. So I got this monkey shoulder blended malt scotch whiskey. Okay. Which I want you to smell this. Like, oh, it smells so good. Okay. I feel like there's like the slightest tint of smoke Ooh. on it. You know, like scotch kind of has that. Dare I say like, it smells buttery? Yeah. There's Isn't something. That interesting? Yeah. And that wasn't even terribly expensive. I, I want to say it was like, Ooh, I like that. $35, $37. Yeah. And like, we know that I prefer bourbon to scotch normally, but I made this variation on New Year's. I was like, I might like it better than the traditional. Ooh. So I'm very excited for you to High try. praise. So very similar situation here. Oh. You just put like everything in and stir it and that ice and stir it. Please make us a fresh orange peel. Will do. All right. So two ounces of the scotch. That was not my finest peel. And then for our sweetener for this. Um, so we're switching up from whiskey to scotch. And then in Fred. In Fred. <laughs> oh my God. Dude. <laughs> we're going to need some snacks after this. So this one we're switching up. The bourbon with scotch. And then for the sweetener, instead of the sugar cube and water, we're doing a quarter ounce of maple syrup. The darker. But if you so. just get some good maple syrup, you'll yeah. be fine. Quarter ounce of that. Just don't use Aunt Jemima. <laughs> yeah, please do not. Oh my gosh. And then it calls for two dashes of Miracle Mile Forbidden Bitters. Which mm. I don't have, but it mentioned as a substitution you can use Scrappy's aromatic bitters, which I do have. I love an aromatic bitter. So we're doing two dashes of that. Okay. So it's just those three things. And now we add our fat ice cube. We give that a stir until it's chilled. And then again, we have the orange peel, so that stays the same. I'm gonna rub that on the rim. I'm stoked. This looks really good. Drop it in. You know I love scotch. Ugh. Okay. So taste this. That scotch smells so interesting. Yeah. Oh. Right? Whoa. It's so different. This is a completely one. different thing. Completely different. Wow. So complex. Yeah. I don't even know what words to use for it. Yeah. And like really kind of changes on the palate as you wow. drink it. Isn't that interesting? I really like that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe it to listeners. Like, it, it's got a little bit of a smokiness. Yeah. It's not as sharp with the maple syrup. It's much more mellow than the yeah. other one. Yeah, like, you've got a little bit of the orange. Yeah. It's a little breakfasty. I would, that's what I say, like, kind of like buttery maple syrupy. Pancakes. Like, dare I say it's like a smoky pancake drink with... Mm-hmm. But it's but not, not sweet. sweet. Yeah. yeah. Not overly sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the pancake uh, idea, though, because it does have that, like... Yeah. Because it's very... It's not soft, but it's, like, kind of... Mm-hmm. But then and it's also, like, 
vanilla-y. And what do you think that's from? Do you think that's from the maple syrup or from the scotch? I think it's the scotch because I, when I was Googling this one to see if I should buy it, Really I good. think that they, I found this like scotch noob website where they rate scotches and I think they said this one had like vanilla and lemon. I mean, I can taste the vanilla for sure. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, Ooh. I will put both of these cocktail recipes in our show notes. So if you guys want to make, make them. both. Oh my gosh. And do a side by side taste. Seriously. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, because it's hard to say because I really love this classic one. Mm-hmm. Because it was just so clean. Like, this is just, like... Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But this is so interesting. And it feels like a winter drink. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's cozy. Yeah. All right. Well, while we sip on that... That's amazing. We've got one more chunk of stuff to talk to you about. I want to talk about women and old fashions. This is kind of like an addendum to our women and whiskey episode that we did before, which you should check out if you like this one. Thanks to the prohibition, there were no more like male-only saloons because during prohibition, men and women were drinking side by side at speakeasies. Illegally. Illegally. And especially women who like came of age during that time were just like, like, we're equal here. Yeah. So they're drinking side by side. So suddenly these, like, liquor companies and bartenders have this, like, new demographic to cater to mm-hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. Now, Washington Post reporter was asking around at the time to figure out this new demographic. And one guy told him, women are never ashamed about asking questions about liquor. They want to know everything there is to know before they make their purchases. <laughs> Which, I mean, I mean, they'll try. True. Yeah. <laughs> Another person said, a woman goes down the cocktail list as though the selection of a drink was her life's work. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've studied many a cocktail list. Yeah. Before I've purchased. I mean, especially when you're first starting out. And I would imagine oh, yeah. after Prohibition, there's probably like all these cocktails popping oh, up yeah. that weren't available. And women are like, ooh, what's this? Like, Yeah. Another quote from someone said, Ladies like artistic drinks, but love of variety prompts women to sample all the new concoctions offered in the cocktail salons. But first, they must know the contents. Between sips, they analyze and question. They leave knowing the recipe. (laughs) That is true. It is so true. There have been many times when I've ordered a cocktail, Mm -hmm. especially at our not sponsored, but favorite restaurant, Luca. Luca. Yeah. (laughs) Where I've been like, how do you make this? Uh-huh. And they'll say, well, it's like this, and then that. Mm-hmm. Very A very rough guide to it. They don't yeah. give you, like, the actual thing. Well, this but... cracked me up because a few years ago, I was at a really nice cocktail bar in Philly with our friend Kelly, mm-hmm. who also loves recipes and stuff, and she fell in love with this cocktail and asked our server if she could get the recipe, so then he asked the bartender. He came back with the recipe for her, told her about it in detail, and part of it was a homemade ginger syrup. They also gave her the recipe to nice. make the ginger syrup. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's like, you don't get what you don't Women ask for. Women aren't afraid to ask. Yeah. It's like, I want to know how to make this. Will you yeah. please tell me? Yeah. And I've definitely done that before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so with all that being said, women are like trying stuff, you know, you know, new cocktails on the menu. But old fashions emerged as a favorite among women. And they would often customize it when ordering it, like sometimes asking for just fruit and whiskey, no sugar and bitters. 
Mm. Or maybe they were like, mm, I don't want to drink too much. Give me like a lot of fruit tonight. Or give me a splash of this on top. You know, so they, right. you know, it is a drink that can be customized. Right. So they were kind of running with that and they right. were like figuring out their more experimentation, personal variation. Right. That they wanted. <laughs> so one other thing I want to share that really made me laugh. There was a serial newspaper story where like they, they published parts of a story in the newspaper so good, right? That's so good. I sorry, those so good. Yeah. So there's a story in a newspaper where a man puts his son's fiance to the test, <clears throat> asking her to fix him a bourbon whiskey cocktail. So again, going okay. back to that, like that original definition of just whiskey cocktail. Yeah. It says, <laughs> this is like the man talking. This dude girl will use rye instead of bourbon and jazz it up with a cherry, a slice of orange, a hunk of pineapple, and charged water. New York style. So I guess that's a possible variation. Huh. Okay. But it says, this girl is his match. (laughs) I'm a dude, she says, but I know the difference between an old-fashioned and a fruit salad. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Drop the mic. Which also, what did dude mean back then? I'm a dude... I'm a dude, but I know the difference between an old-fashioned and a fruit salad. Where she was kind of like, hey, oh, you think you're going to catch me making you a fruit salad? I know how to make a drink. Don't you think there is something about dating and when you're first getting to know someone, mm-hmm. you do kind of judge the way that they view cocktails, food. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're on a first date with someone... You're definitely paying attention to what they order. Yeah, like, it says a lot about a person what their first, if you're going out to a bar, what Mm -hmm. their first sort of cocktail of choice is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like choosing an old-fashioned as a woman is a strong choice. Yeah. But what did you order on your first date with Luke? Oh, God. I probably got some kind of beer. Mm -hmm. Like an IPA. I ordered a Francis Connor beer. (laughs) On my first date with Robert. I feel... But I was so young. Like, I didn't know mm-hmm. much about cocktails. It was before I knew I liked whiskey and stuff. I was Ex- still, like, yeah. getting my footing. I feel like probably if I could bet... I, I do think realistically it was probably an IPA. Because mm-hmm. I was working at Trogues at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was getting more into, like, understanding different types of beer. Yeah. But if it was a cocktail, probably, like... Some sort of whiskey cocktail. Yeah. You know. Right. I didn't know anything. <laughs> like, what was that uh, tequila you guys... Oh, my God. Tort- Tortilla gold. Tortilla gold. <laughs> He's seen me through the good times and the bad times. <laughs> but like, it's funny, funny because now, even being very budget conscious mm-hmm. people, because we're constantly saving for, you know, experiences, travel, mm-hmm. we'll go to Wine and Spirits now and, like... Neither one of us is like, oh, we should save money and get a, you know, Mm -mm. because you learn, like, there is a major difference. Well, also, like, if you compare it to buying a drink out, even if you spend $40 on a bottle of whiskey, you get so many drinks out of it. Right. And also, I don't know about you guys, but I don't make drinks at home that often so when I do I want to know that the yes. the liquor I have is good stuff and I'm going to make myself something really nice. Another thing I've been thinking about too is because we're looking at buying a house in outside of Lancaster City where you can't immediately just walk to a cocktail bar which mm-hmm. 
Hashtag bless up is an amazing <laughs> benefit of living in Lancaster. Seriously. Because there are so many places that mm-hmm. take their cocktails seriously. In fact, yeah. the Horse Inn. Oh, love We the should horse go inn. back to that place because they know their cocktails. And they get you drunk. Oh. They're, like, I've had, I think I've had an old fashioned there. Or at least, like, a whiskey sour. Yeah. But I swear theirs are, like, doubles. Oh, they're big portions. I think they do four ounces of liquor instead of two but in their drinks. But I love their cocktail menu, too. Anyway, mm-hmm. long story short, I and was that's saying... A, that's a, that was an old speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old old uh, horse stable. Yeah, what, that literally yeah. was a speakeasy, and they still have the, like, 100-year-old yeah. bar up in the horse barn. It's very cool. Very cool place if you're ever in Lancaster. Yes. You know what? My birthday, let's do that. Okay. Um, But anyway... <laughs> um. Thinking about the fact that we won't be able to walk to all these places, mm-hmm. it's made us more interested in learning really how to master drinks that we like to order out, you know? Yeah. Like, when you have the immediacy of just walking three blocks and being able to order an amazing, I mean, any Negroni, anything mm-hmm. you could ask for. Yeah. It's like, well, let's just walk down and do that. Right. But with the idea of that may not be a possibility in the future. Right. Now it's time You're to learn. You're going to have to, yeah, like a level up your home bar situation. Yeah. We've been really mm-hmm. trying to step up our pantry game, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like um, the Foundry, which was our favorite bar in Lebanon, which moved to Lidditz. So we well. no longer have it. But they had a barrel-aged Negroni on their menu for a limited time, and I loved it. And that was one where I was texting our friend who works there as a server, and I was like, can you get me like a full-blown recipe for that? And like, which... Which gin are you guys using and what, you know, what else goes into it, like, specifically what ingredients so I can buy so them at the liquor store. So you can legitimately make that drink. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up buying some barrel-aged gin and now a barrel-aged Negroni is one of my go-to mm. home cocktails. We've gotten very good at Negronis. Yeah. Maybe we should do a whole episode of Negronis. Okay. Yeah. Also, guys, let us know if there are other cocktails or drinks or something that you want to deep dive on because this yeah. is very fun for all of yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> We're really enjoying this. This is going to be like a very long episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that's it for old fashioned. So unless you have anything Thanks else to add. Thanks for your research. This has been welcome. really fun. It was my pleasure. Why don't I take over? We'll do Negronis or some other sort of Okay. Yeah. Classic next, next deep dive. I'll let you take the reins. Okay. And please let us know, like, what do you want us to do? So, yeah. (laughs) Listener question. So the question is, do you have any advice on how to get started as a quote-unquote travel influencer? This is from at summercooper11 on Instagram. Um, so I'm going to sit back and drink while yeah, you Yeah, you've this. taken the reins on this. <laughs> I will talk about this. And I'm going to try to be as even-keeled as possible. So basically, my whole thing is don't aim to be a travel influencer, period. Mm. Aim to be a traveler. Good, good point. I mean, I think in today's day and age, people are getting very good at seeing through inauthenticity. Inauthent- Mm-hmm. So not only does desperation to become an quote unquote influencer turn people off mm-hmm. in 2020. Yeah. Um, I think that changing your mindset mm-hmm. is going to make a huge difference as opposed to being a travel influencer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and I'm going to travel and I'm going to have experiences. I'm going to mm-hmm. photograph and capture the beauty I mm-hmm. see. 
Uh, I'm going to get off the beaten path and I'm going to talk to the locals. I think that if your aim is to just go out and take pretty pictures, mm-hmm. there's a million and a half people doing that. Right. With the technology that we have it literally at, yeah. in, our, in the palm of our hands. Basically, it's like, it's really hard to actually be a travel influencer. So almost like just Don't. enjoy yourself and... Maybe do the things that a travel influencer does. Right. But don't worry about the end result and just have fun doing it. Have fun and honestly enjoy the process of just traveling and capture and really get good at, well, first of all, taking really baller photographs is Mm -hmm. number one. That's a whole thing. But also um, when you are sharing content, making it not about you Mm -hmm. and making it about experiences or really narrowing in on what your niche is in the travel industry. There's so many quote unquote Mm -hmm. travel influencers out there. So what do you have to say that you wish was out there? Is it something that, are you a budget traveler? Because there are so many women out there, especially involved in Facebook groups and travel communities that are looking for recommendations for affordable places to stay Mm -hmm. or are you an eco-conscious traveler are you a luxury traveler are you currently located in a city where people come to explore Mm -hmm. maybe you should become a master of that area or are you a foodie traveler where you go out and you're really about documenting food experiences Mm -hmm. so really what sets your passion off is what's going to make an influence for me, yeah. I've realized I'm a culture traveler mm-hmm. and a foodie traveler. Yeah. So when <laughs> I go share my content, I want to share about cultural experiences or like off the beaten path things as well. Um, and start sharing content that you wish that you saw on Instagram mm-hmm. and treat Instagram like a micro blogging platform. Yeah. Where you can Which share. Is basically what it is. Now. Right. And even now, like there, I mean, I still believe everyone should have a blog. Mm -hmm. As, like, a living room of their Mm -hmm. brand, quote-unquote. Yeah, place that you own. Right. Right. So, Instagram could potentially just disappear one day. Yeah. So, it's important to have your own Or even, like, an email list. Yeah, a newsletter. email newsletter. But I really think that if your aim is to become a travel influencer, I think you should shift your mindset to just becoming a traveler and being really true to what makes you passionate about travel mm-hmm. and sharing content that you think other people would love. Like if you experience awesome restaurants in a place, mm-hmm. share what you ate, share the restaurant, share inside knowledge that you learned. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think yeah. that and also just don't take things too so seriously. If mm-hmm. you love a photograph, share it also like try not to think like what would a travel influencer say about this or do like be you try to just do whatever feels right for you yeah because if you're just doing what everyone else does then you're not going to stand out it's such an oversaturated yeah like area and as someone who's worked a lot with travel influencers what i'll say is that um it's really apparent the people who treat their travel experiences not as a money-making platform but as a soul enriching Mm -hmm. experience and I think people can now we're just so much better at reading through the lines like and realizing when people are being selfish Mm -hmm. um and also I would say in addition to this uh be respectful um and open-minded when when you are photographing things um I can't tell you how many times I've been at, like, memorial sites. Oh, God. And there have been 
not travel influencers, but just people photographing selfies. Yeah. And it's not a great look. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, always be documenting when something inspires mm-hmm. you. But, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. Read the room, as what I like <laughs> to say. Yeah. Figure out what's going on and know that, like, you're a visitor and mm-hmm. um, you're here to learn from your experiences, not to judge or to assess or... Right. You know, I think as Americans, we forget our privilege a lot until Mm -hmm. you're in those circumstances. So, yeah. And realistically, if you are someone who's established, you're starting to do things on Instagram and you're sort of like, how do I make it? Like, what's the next step? I would say go on and find travel communities, female travel communities, if you're a woman, especially, and guest post or do Instagram takeovers or reach Mm -hmm. out to brands that you love and Mm -hmm. ask like what content they're looking for. Mm-hmm. If you could write a blog post for them. Mm-hmm. Also, um, just connect with other travel influencers. Yeah. You need to build that network yeah, so that you guys can support each other and shout each other out. Absolutely. And it doesn't take much, honestly. Yeah. It's it about really finding a core group of other people that mm-hmm. you like their content, you have similar following. Comment on their stuff regularly. Right. Interact and with them. Build a portfolio. Like, mm-hmm. if you're photographing things and you're saying a lot of success with I'm really good shooting architecture. Share more of that stuff on Instagram. Make mm-hmm. make Instagram your your actual portfolio. Yeah. So that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that made sense. I feel like I could do a serious deep dive into the travel industry because I've had more experience in the last two years working with Dame Traveler. Um, I've learned a lot about the ins and outs of how things work, how sponsorships and campaigns go. And it's a, it's an interesting, I mean, industry. Yeah. Um, and I think what's great about it is that more people are interested in expanding their idea of what the world is. And that's an amazing time to be alive, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, like, it's so easy now to get a window into other cultures and places to visit that, you know, quite frankly, our parents did not have. No. They they subscribed to National Geographic if they wanted to learn this stuff. Right. (laughs) Right. And with, you know, globalization, social media, it's, it's an amazing time to go out and see the world and to influence ideas and to give recommendations, but, um, I do think it's important to be mindful about how you do it. Yeah. So. That's important. Yeah. Well, I think that was a lot of good advice. Good. Hope I that know. helps. Yeah. Summer, I hope this was helpful. And obviously you can always DM me if you have specific questions. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Lara's obviously passionate about this. Uh, yeah. I have many <laughs> thoughts about it. So. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, recommendations, baby. All right. Well, I'll go first to give you a break. Okay. I'm talking. I have to pull mine up. Mine is the Super Goop. What's it called? Super Screen Daily Moisturizer with SPF 40. Okay, this is a silly question. What? Is this associated with Goop the no, brand? No, it's actually not. Okay. Which I feel like is a, you know, kind of a bad choice with this. At it least, I, at least I don't think it is. I don't think it is, but I wanted to make sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm okay. pretty sure it's something. Okay. So this is their kind of newer product. It's just an everyday moisturizer, the SPF 40, which is what I was in the market for when I landed on this. Mm -hmm. I wanted a moisturizer that I could just put on every morning that gave me SPF that didn't feel like putting on sunscreen. Right. 
And that's exactly what this is. Does this smell like sunscreen? No. Okay. Now open this up. So it is $38. This is my second tube of it or whatever. It's like in a jar of mm-hmm. sorts. So you like scoop it out. Yeah. And I am not stingy with this stuff. Like I'll dot it all over my face when I put it on and I also use it to cream my neck. I was like, I literally want a moisturizer with SPF that I can easily put on my face and neck every day. Mm-hmm. And this is it. It's $38 and it seems to be lasting me like four to five months. Me smell, please. It's a very, like it, it's just a very nice oh, yeah. light moisturizer. It doesn't feel like sunscreen. It's very hydrating. It, um, I feel like it kind of has the scent of lilac. Yeah, something floral, but not like... It's not overpowering very, your face. Yeah. No. And I will say the texture is very, like, blendable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's, like, nice under makeup. Nice. stuff. This is a great recommendation. Yeah. And also, like, ladies and gentlemen, you should be wearing SPF. Yeah. Like, almost every day. It's 2020. Get yourself an SPF that you can wear every day. Seriously. I mean, really, we should be wearing SPF on our entire bodies every day. Oh. <laughs> or, like, your arms, like, anything that, like, sees the sun, like, in your car or whatever. Yeah. Unfortunately. But trying to keep my face and my neck fresh. You know. Because that's where you show your age. It's true. <laughs> and your hands. Supergoop also has a nice hand lotion with SPF. I am so bad about my hands. I, like, never put anything on my hands. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's mine. Good. Mine is a very um, sentimental recommendation. It's not a product or anything like that. I didn't exercise with myself um, on New Year's Day. Yeah, it was right before I made my pasta that I recommended. <laughs> um, where I wrote a letter Obviously, it's 2020. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a letter to myself 10 years ago. Oh. And I like... Your 2010 self. Yeah. Like, who I was. I kind of put myself back in that mindset. Like, yeah. where was my life? What did you tell her? I mean, I told myself so many things. Yeah? <laughs> oh, my God. Just so many things. I was like, be nice to your parents. <laughs> And apologize right now. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I, there are so many things about who I was in high school that I especially regret. Mm. Um, especially as far as my relationships go with my parents and some, mm. even like girlfriends. Um, but uh, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. I really just like wrote a letter and I was like, listen, like, you're going to heal past all these things and just yeah. some life lessons that I felt like I've learned over the last 10 years. Yeah. And then I wrote a letter to 2030, Laura. Oh, nice. And I was like, here's the deal. <laughs> like, this is where I'm at. And I yeah. hope that you can do X, Y, Z. But like, here are some things that I think are really important. And I hope yeah. you can check in with yourself. So I made a Google Doc for myself. Who knows if Google Doc will even exist in 2030? Right. But I did it. And it was a, it was a cool practice. I felt like it really gave me a minute to just sort of reflect on mm-hmm. time yeah because with all the share the shared stuff around the new year about mm-hmm. a new decade and seeing all the people's my decade in review and stuff like that mm-hmm. it made me be like oh my god I've really done a lot in the last 10 years right I was yeah pretty much uh, yeah I was like a freshman in college yeah and I was like a junior in college yeah and I basically, or I graduated high school, was about to go into college. And it was, hmm. I mean, a lot has happened since then. But then it's kind of mind-boggling to think about who you're going to be in 10 years from now. Right. So, it was an interesting I'm exercise. I'm going to be 40. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Me 38. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it was interesting and like I probably won't open it or even yeah. remember it mm-hmm. when it's 2030, but it gave me a minute or two to think about my life mm-hmm. and to think about like goals and things I hope to achieve in 10 years and mm-hmm. more or less just check in with myself and be like, yo girl, life's <laughs> long. You only got you. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, that makes me think of how in Gmail now you can snooze an email. Mm-hmm. So like, even if you did this on a smaller scale, like maybe when I write an email to yourself for a year from now, write oh, yourself an nice. email and then it will like come through immediately, but then snooze it to whatever date you want it to pop back in your inbox. And you'd be like, oh, oh my right. God. <laughs> I wanted to tell myself something. Uh oh, what did yeah. I have to say? Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's a good idea. So you could, maybe you could do that. Message from the Maybe past. you can like email yourself the 2031 and snooze it until 20 years. <laughs> Who knows if you'll even have the same email. Who knows? But... Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's yeah, fun. Not a, not a physical product, but an exercise to do with yourself if you're feeling stuck or want to make goals for yourself. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's good reflection exercise. Yeah. Cool. Wow, what an episode. (laughs) Well, here we are at the end. We've made it. Two cocktails in. This one's almost done. Yep, we've made it. Well, thanks for joining. Uh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they might be our best episodes, if we're being honest. It's fun. If you're loving the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes, subscribe, tell a friend, do all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And don't forget to send us your questions on... Food, travel, if you have a specific cocktail you want us to dive into in a future episode. So we still need, like, love questions. Oh, yeah. Send us your relationship drama. Yeah. Um, You can either DM us on Instagram. We're at Passport Pizza Pod. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 717-964-0215. You can find our show notes with all the links and everything we talked about, this old-fashioned book, the recipes, all that stuff. And passportsandpizza.com. You can also email us at hello at passportsandpizza.com. Yeah. And if you want to see what we're up to day to day, give us a follow. Sarah is at Sarah underscore Cornelius underscore. And that's Sarah with no H. And I am Rome and Go Lightly, R-O-A-M and Go Lightly. So you can see what we're up to day to day. And last but not least, big thank you to Lara's brother Will for our theme music. And we'll catch you next episode. See ya. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh. Yeah. Eight. Had to be. (laughs) Yum. They're like, can I please just have the basic bitch of cocktails? Like, I don't want your weird stuff. Cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe some Mexican influences in Canada.